0: Welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written.
1: This is where we answer your Bible questions. Temptation is not sin. It's when we yield ourselves to that thing. That's when it becomes sin.
0: I believe what this is, and I'm going to trust you. So what prophecies were they studying to help them know when the Messiah would come? That's a good question. And I think we've got a pretty good answer for you here. Welcome to Line Up Online, brought to you by It Is Written, where we answer your Bible questions. If you have a question you'd like answered, I'm encouraging you to get it to us. Email us, lineuponline at iiw.org, lineuponline at iiw.org. I'm John Bradshaw. With me is Wes Peppers from It Is Written. Great to have you here, Wes. So good to be here, Pastor John. Kind of fun answering Bible questions. I know over your many years in ministry and evangelism, you've asked a lot.
1: Been asked a lot of questions, given a lot of Bible answers, and neither one of us have all the answers, but we know the Bible does. So what if you don't know the answer? Well, we just say we don't know, and we do our best to look it up and find it and, and give people what they're looking for. All right. So let's start with question right. one. I'm going,
0: to, I'm going to ask it of you and see if sure. you know the answer. All right. Uh, the question is, it comes from Chandler, was it God's plan for sin to enter the world he created? Why did God put Satan in the Garden of Eden? So was it God's plan for sin to come? Why did God place Satan in the Garden of Eden?
1: Well, certainly it wasn't God's plan. From the beginning, everything was perfect. Sin entered because of human choice, and we find that clearly spelled out in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. And the reason sin entered the world is because it ultimately began in heaven with Lucifer. It began in his heart, and then it spread through the rest of heaven, and God removed that. And in that great battle for good and evil, Satan was sent to the earth. And God created the earth perfect. He put Adam and Eve there. And then ultimately, the devil began to tempt them, as we see in the book of Genesis. Now, let's zero down. Did God God say to Satan, I want you to go to the earth? Or
0: did he find his way? Is this where he was sent, given a one-way ticket? How do you
1: think that worked? Well, the Bible says in Revelation that he was cast to the earth. And God, when he created Adam and Eve, he created them with a freedom of choice. And he put that tree of knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden to give them that choice. And God warned them, if you eat from that tree, you're going to die. And Satan was right there. He was permitted to tempt them, uh, to give them that opportunity for choice. And, of course, God always wants us to choose good. But when we choose evil, it brings the consequence of sin and ultimately death. Mm
0: Thank you, Chandler. Great question. And by the way, just, just to reiterate, all these questions come to us from It Is Written viewers. So these are legitimate questions that we've received here at It Is Written, and we are sharing them with you. Okay, let's take a look at this next question from McKenna. Jesus said in Matthew 12 and verse 40, He would spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Friday to Sunday does not equal three days and three nights. Can you explain this? And the answer to your question is, yes, I can. Makina, let's think about this. We know that Jesus died on the day we call Good Friday, the day people refer to as Good Friday. He died on the preparation day. The Bible makes clear the day following the death of Jesus was the Sabbath. That's the seventh day. That's Saturday. So he died the day prior to the Sabbath. He died Friday in the afternoon. We know, according to Luke 24 and verse 1, that Jesus rose on the first day of the week. That's Sunday. So it's a Friday to Sunday. Jesus said three days and three nights. So what you're saying is that's not 72 hours. Granted, it's not. If you look at the time period that Jesus spent in the tomb, the way it's described in the Bible, you find it described in multiple different ways. It is said that he would rise the third day it is said three days and three nights it is said after three days so what's after three days three and a half days four days five days six days seven days Mm -hmm. after three days very open-ended right that's right so you have the same time period described in multiple different ways so what you do is you look at it you go yeah clearly friday clearly sunday if you have a mathematical problem the problem isn't likely with the math it's with the person on the other end of the pencil trying to figure this thing out So let's share something with you, and that's the principle of inclusive reckoning. The Jewish mind would call part of a day a day and a night. Now, I've known people who've been sentenced three days in jail. Mm -hmm. They went on, on, let's say, Monday night, spent an hour there, all of Tuesday, and they were let out just after midnight on Tuesday night. That's part of Monday, all of Tuesday, part of Wednesday. Three days, three days in jail. That that has happened. Maybe it happens with some frequency. I, I don't know. So I would encourage you not to get too hung up on the three days and three nights. That has to be 72 hours. It doesn't have to be 72 hours. And when you look back and you go, hmm, inclusive reckoning. Ah, that's how the figure of speech was applied in that day. You might then say, okay, that resolves it for me. Wes, you've met people for whom this question, I'm not saying this is true yes. for Mekina. Is a hill on which they must die. That's right. And they wouldn't be happy unless other people died there also. That's right. Is it necessary to take a question like that and make it like a, and again, again, I'm not referencing
1: my questioner, but is it necessary for us to make this a test question or a test of orthodoxy? It's not a test of salvation. It's not a test of church membership. Uh, Really, it's just a a matter of words. And in several places in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, often they say, it says, on the third day he rose. Yeah. And I think the bigger picture here, the bigger point, is that Jesus rose from the dead. That's right. And that's good news for us. That's good news for you, McKenna. We're thankful for that question. And Jesus rose and he provides salvation for each of us. Fantastic. We've got a question for Leona. I'm going to ask you to read the question. All right. The question from Leona says I remember reading in the Bible about a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath in the days of Moses. God told the people to stone him to death. Is God still that strict with us today? Listen, the Bible says God
0: is love, and we're saved by grace through faith. But here's the question. Is God still that strict? I- I'm going to replace a word here. Uh, has God changed? Now, let's read about the story about the person being, being, being stoned for gathering sticks, and then I'll, I'll ask you to comment on this. It says here in uh, Numbers 15 and verse 32, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation, and they put him in ward and they imprisoned him, basically, because it wasn't declared what they should do to him. The Lord said to Moses, This man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. That wasn't a pretty way to die. Why in the world would God say
1: this requires Death mm-hmm. seems severe to us today. Sure, but it does.
0: Why? Now let's keep the context in mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They just coming out of they had just come out of Egypt, the children of Israel, and God was trying to reinstate in their minds the importance of his law, the importance of obedience, the importance of the life that the commandments really bring. And so they had been used to pagan practices, disregard of the Sabbath, disregard for all of the commandments really. And God had to instill that. And part of instilling the law in their mind was instilling His character in their mind. Mm -hmm. And so the law represented something deeper that which we see Jesus bringing out uh, when He talks about that in the New Testament. And so there was some extreme circumstances. But not only that... They had already been warned, and this man was just in total rebellion. He was just doing his own thing, disregarding what God had said.
0: We notice it wasn't long before this that the children of Israel were dancing around a golden calf and blatant apostasy. God had to keep them from going back there, Mm -hmm. and he needed to help people understand two things. One, this isn't good for you. That's right. And that eternal principle that the wages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. Now, the question that we were asked is, is God still that strict today? Now, if you mean, does God ask the leaders of the church to stone someone to death for breaking the Sabbath? No. But if you mean, does the Sabbath still carry with it the same importance or has God sort of lightened up on Sabbath keeping? What's the answer to
1: that? Absolutely. He's still, the Ten Commandments are still in, in effect. They never change. The importance of them stays the same forever. And the Sabbath is a reminder of God recreating our heart. And He wants us to have our focus on Him on that day. So uh,
0: I would not say, I'm not going to get stoned to death for this, so it's open season, on breaking the commandments. Uh, It's really not. The wages of sin, and sin is the transgression of the law, the wages of sin, death. So nothing's changed. It's just that that death sentence gets extended. And keep in mind, uh, extended, delayed. It's not God's will that anybody should perish, you understand. God's not the God who's just saying, oh, this guy put a toe over the line. That's I'm right. going to blot him out. God is doing everything he can to, to, to save us and win us and to draw us to Jesus. This is what God wants. So don't, don't, don't charge God with undue severity. I think that would be a mistake. Look at the culture, look at the times, and say, aha, this is what God was driving. He's
1: us. merciful, and if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us. He's
0: always merciful. Whereas Jerry asks, the Bible says, "When Jesus comes back, we shall see our loved ones again." When Jesus returns, will my wife still be my
1: wife in the New Jerusalem? That's a great question. I can tell that Jerry, you're asking that question because it's close to your heart. Maybe you've lost your life, your wife recently, and we're very sorry for that. But the answer is certainly you will see her again. But Jesus also says in Matthew twenty-two thirty that when we get to heaven, we'll be like the angels. There will be no marriage or giving in marriage. So there won't necessarily be marriage, husband and wife, but the relationship that we'll have with one another will be very close. Yeah. It'll be very intimate, not in a sexual way, but in a spiritual way. You, you can't imagine
0: that you're going to be married here to somebody for 5, 10, 50, 70 years. That's right. Get to heaven, bump into them on the streets of gold and say, you look familiar to me. Yes, or, or or walk by him on the streets and and as though there was never anything there. Right. You, we
1: can only imagine this now, yeah. but that relationship has got to be strong in heaven. It'll be strong, just like the angels. The relationship that they have is strong. Our relationship with God will be strong, face to face, will be close to one another, and there won't really be a need for marriage. That's correct. And here's here's what
0: people have a hard time understanding. Whatever it is, it's going to be better in heaven than it is here on earth now, i know i know i know my wife is married to me and she can't imagine how anything could ever be better i have That's to right. remind her be That's heaven right. dear it's better right. in heaven I mean, who could what could be better but in heaven it'll be better so don't fear don't look don't look at this thing uh, in, a, in an overly human way give god the benefit of the doubt and know that he's got something better we got one more question before the sure break I, I can't wait to see what you say about this uh, it comes from Ron Isaiah forty-one ten says so do not fear for I am with you all right So does this mean that we should not fear skydiving or the pandemic?
1: <laughs> well, I'm gonna fear skydiving if I don't have a parachute Amen, and so you know I think about the temptation of Jesus where the devil tempted him to jump off the temple We don't want to do anything foolish and expect that God's going to just protect us. The Bible says presumption is a sin So we have to be very careful about that but you know if in in general life in the things of daily life should i fear no because god is my courage he is my strength in the pandemic there's a lot of fear in the world there's a lot of people that are afraid and certainly for the christian we understand that jesus said these things are going to happen in the world but we can trust in him we don't have to be afraid but we don't want to be foolish either fear is good i
0: mean if you see a rattlesnake or 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 a, a, a pit of vipers and there's something that says, you know, I wouldn't walk through that if I were you. That's healthy. That's right. You don't want to leap off a tall building without there being a net way down there. There's times that fear is good. But undue fear, what does the Bible say? Perfect love casts out fear. So we should be able to face each day confident, secure, happy in Jesus. And the, 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 the assurance we can have is that whatever happens in this world, even if it happens to be a nest of vipers, I'm going to live in a land one day where there'd be no more sin, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more nothing. So we we don't need to live without that undue, unnecessary fear. This is Line Upon Line. Got a question for us? Email us lineuponline at IIW.org. He's Wes Peppers. I am John Bradshaw. This is Line Upon Line brought to you by It Is Written. Just a few hundred years ago, the Bible was not available to everyday people. Today, it's everywhere. What happened to bring the Word of God to the world? Join me for part two of Ancient Wisdom, Present Power. As archaeologist and theologian Dr. Michael Hazel takes us back in time to the events that led to the Bible being propelled to the forefront of Western society, and then the world. We'll look together at a remarkable collection of rare books that tell the story of the advance of the gospel, of the battle between truth and tradition, of the life and death struggle between darkness and light featuring artifacts of historical importance and insights that will grow and encourage your faith in God. Ancient Wisdom, Present Power, telling the story of some of the greatest events in human history and the development of the greatest story ever told. Don't miss Part 2 of Ancient Wisdom, Present Power, brought to you by It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw. I have Wes Peppers with me from It Is Written. We are answering your questions. And if you have a Bible question for us, email us at lineuponline at iiw.org. Now, if you'd like to study the Bible, I want to recommend to you an outstanding series of Bible studies, the It Is Written Bible Study Guides. You can study them online. Go to itiswritten.study, itiswritten.study. And if you have Bible studies you'd like to share with people in other languages, we've got them available in Arabic and Turkish and Chinese and German, a raft of languages. So, so contact us at It Is Written if you want to share uh, Bible studies with others. Wes, I have a question here I want to bounce off you. It's from Mary. She writes in Matthew 12:32, Jesus says the unpardonable sin will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Now, she says, does the age to come mean it's non-reversible? And, and I don't know what she means by that. But let's talk about the unpardonable sin, because maybe what she means is, does this mean it just cannot be pardoned? It's unpardonable.
1: Take it from here. Sure. You know, a lot of people, and Mary, maybe you're curious or concerned that you've committed the unpardonable sin. A lot of people think, oh, it's murder or it's yeah. abortion or it's homosexuality or whatever it may be. But very simple you find from a, a, a good study of Scripture is the unpardonable sin is the one that is not confessed. 1 John 1, 9, God says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. And so if our sins are confessed, it doesn't matter what it is. There's no uh, buts about or insertions or anything like that in the Scripture. But if we confess our sin, he will forgive. Think about some of these characters in the Bible. Yes. David was guilty of just about everything.
0: Solomon, I think, was guilty of everything. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who got carried away. Manasseh, Manasseh. sacrificed his own children to that's the right. devil. There are very few people in the Bible, Daniel might be about the only one, where there's no folly charged to their account. That's right. And that's encouraging, frankly. I think if I was writing the Bible, I would want to airbrush it so that it, it all looks squeaky clean. Mm-hmm. God allowed us to see the foibles and failings of people. If God forgave them, mm-hmm. he can forgive Mary, me, you. That's right. Okay, but the unpardonable sin.
1: Why is it not part? Why is it not pardoned? Well, because a, because it's not confessed. But b, because every time I say no to God, the Bible says I grieve the Holy Spirit. And does that mean that the first time I say no to God, or or I I rebel, or I refuse to obey? Does that mean that He's cut me off? No, but it means that I, I I may hear His voice a little bit less and a little bit less until I can eventually place myself in a position where I'm not hearing the Spirit speak, even though He still is speaking. And so God is always speaking to our hearts. He always wants to forgive us. But we can place ourselves in a situation by continual uh, disobedience and rebellion where I can't hear Him anymore. And we've met people like that. Yes. I mean,
0: everybody has. Yes. This person was on the front row in church every week, and then something happened, and he... Was a little less faithful in his relationship with God, and he stopped reading the Bible, and he took up some bad habits, and he drifted. Yeah. And now, when people talk to him, he says, I, I'm not even interested. I'm cold. That's right. I don't know if he is unpardonable. I don't suppose so, but what I'm, if he confesses. That's right. But people will get to that place, and they really do. So I want to appeal to you don't make that mistake. You know, if you're drifting from God, come on back. Mm-hmm. If you feel bad about something you've done, and, and probably do because who doesn't? Confess that and then believe that God forgives you. God doesn't hold a grudge. God's not keeping you at arm's length because you did something foolish, no matter what that is. Oh, but John, you don't know how deep in sin I am. No, I don't. And let's keep it that way. God does. And he's willing to save you anyway. So the Bible says that God delights to forgive sin. He delights to pardon people for their sin. And
1: you okay. Pastor John, I want yeah. to add something here that if you're concerned about your sin, if, if you're if you concerned that you've committed the unpardonable sin, that's actually good news. It is. Because it means your heart is open and sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and it's unlikely that you have. And so if you have a sin in your heart and you are concerned about it, confess it to God. There's probably not a sin that's recorded in the Bible that that people haven't committed today but there's also probably not a sin today that people have committed that isn't in the bible i think that's right and so friends put your trust in the mercy of god and the compassion of god and don't trust in yourselves i want to say this just just to lengthen the question
0: for no good reason but people will say oh but i feel so bad about what i've done and they'll say but what i find and i've said this before i've said this before what i find is that the hardest part is forgiving yourself hold hold on hold on I'll take a moment while you read the Bible and find the part in the Bible that says you must forgive yourself. That's Mm -hmm. that's, that's mumbo jumbo. There's Mm -hmm. nothing biblical about I have to forgive myself. What you mean is I've got to learn to live with myself after I backed over my neighbor's child in the driveway or after I had an affair and destroyed my family or after I dealt drugs and, and, and spent 20 years in prison. I've got to figure out how to live with myself. Yeah, yeah. Forgive yourself. Forget it. God's the one who forgives. If you go around forgiving yourself, you put yourself in the place of God. So accept God's forgiveness. We understand what you mean. How do I move forward uh, with my head in a good space after what I've done? Well, you do that by going to God and confessing to him and then saying, God forgives me. And I can move on in a healthy way now, that's and, that, right. and that's how that works. Okay, I've got one for you here. Right. This comes from Jody, and Jody asks, I think what could be a fun question. Let's see how this goes. If we are going to eat meat, should it be prepared according to the biblical laws of slaughtering? Now, now Jody says that is kosher-type preparation. Uh, Jody, you need to know that the, the Bible doesn't talk about kosher. That's Jewish traditions. And if so, is it a sin, therefore, to eat meats that are not prepared in that manner? So the Bible talks about if you're going to eat meat, it ought to be prepared a certain way. Is it, is it a sin to eat meat that's not prepared in that way? Well, I don't know if we don't want to make everything a sin, but, but take, take that and, and talk about this uh, eating meat. If you're going to eat meat, should you eat it in the way the Bible says it should be prepared?
1: That's right. And a lot of people associate this with just Old Testament laws that are done away with. But what you find is you have the ceremonial laws, and then you had the health laws. Right. The health laws are eternal. I mean, if it's unhealthy to eat something a 1,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago, it's still unhealthy today. And so the principles of health were given for the good of God's people, and they're still given to us today. We still use many of the health laws that were given in the Old Testament, covering our our waste and sanitation, washing hands, and those things. And so what many people don't realize is that right in the New Testament, it addresses this issue. That's right. In the book of Acts chapter 15, the, the disciples, the apostles were meeting together in a council, and somebody actually had this a similar question. So I'm going to read the reply here from Acts chapter 15, that in verse 19 and 20, he says, Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write them to abstain from things polluted by idols, right. from sexual immorality, still uh-huh. good today, yep. from things strangled, right. and from blood. right. And so right there in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, it talks about refraining from eating those things. So I think the answer to this question would be yes. If we're going to do it the, the healthy way, God's way, what the Bible says, that we should prepare it in in the way that the Bible describes. So in the Old Testament, they would drain the blood
0: out. Yes. And we know that that which gives meat its taste really is fat and blood. That's right. Yeah. How much fun would it be to eat a chunk of meat that's been drained of all the blood? Yeah, it it tastes like cardboard. Yeah. And it'd probably be as chewy as rubber. That's right. Yeah. So enjoy that. That's right. (laughs) Enjoy that all you can but that's the biblical way, and few people will talk about that. Now, the question is, would it be a sin? Look, I don't know. I don't want to be the one who goes around telling you every every last move you make is a sin, but God spelled out His will, and it's hard to do something other than God's will in a way of faith, and if it's not a faith, then it's sin. So you figure that part out, but what we've done is shaken somebody's world who said it's okay for me to eat meat. All right, you be that determiner of that. But if you want to be biblical about it, don't eat the blood. The Bible in the New Testament, Acts
1: 15, very clear about that. Pastor John, real quick, it also says in Genesis that Adam and Eve, they ate fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables. In heaven, it says the same thing. We're going to eat from the tree of life and all the trees that God has prepared. And we'll have gardens and vineyards and those types of things. So those are the healthy foods that God has given to us as a gift And really, they're a real blessing to the body. You know, uh, I don't want to take too long with this, but maybe I do. Science shows again
0: and again and again that when you look after yourself by taking care about what you eat, you prosper. That's right. You just do better. Does it matter? Yes, it matters. You want to live your fullest, healthiest, most productive life with the clearest mind you have in connection with God. So look after yourself. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Question for you, Where Revelation 22, one says, and this is a question from Terry,
1: there'll be no more sea. So what does that mean? It's a very interesting question. And uh, I think, you know, in, in the very beginning it talks about this, that there was a sea at the beginning when God created, but it says in Revelation that there won't be sea. I think much of the sea that we understand today was caused by the flood. And so I think, in a sense, God is insinuating that at the end of time when the earth is created new, the results of the flood, that the damaging, destructive results, won't be visible. Will, does that mean there won't be any water on the earth? There's I don't got to think be so. water, right? There's got to be water. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> you know, there will be the river of life and those types of things. So, you know, in that sense, I just think it's talking about part of that curse that will be removed from the earth.
0: Another thing I wonder is right now the, the, the waters covering the earth Uh, there's far more sea than land. That's right. And maybe what this is saying is that we're not going to see the vast oceans that we have now. Maybe there'll be more land and less water. Mm -hmm. One thing for sure, we get to find out one day. That's right. So make sure you're there, Terry, and you can find out with us. Hannah asks a question. Uh, Genesis 1, 6 through 8 says, there were waters above the firmament and
1: below the firmament at creation.
0: Okay, Pastor Wes, what does this mean?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And Actually, my kids have asked that question before, oh, yeah? and they, my son reads, and he's very thoughtful, and he says, what does this mean? Very simply, it actually says that the waters were separated. So it, it, the water that's in the air, the firmament, is really just the atmosphere. There are actually water droplets in the atmosphere that make up the different layers. And so very simply, it's just talking about that. It's describing that, how God, uh, the, the very steps He took in creation in Genesis, Uh, We see those. And and really, uh, amazingly, all the creation story in Genesis is very clearly supported by science. And many times people say, well, the the Bible says this, but we see this. But you give enough time, not talking about evolution, to give enough time for research and it's been discovered that biblically speaking the bible is a very scientific book it is and uh, we find support for that so separation of the firmament atmosphere and then with the water we see on the earth outstanding hey thanks for joining me online
0: upon line this has been fun a blessing let's do it again absolutely and we are grateful that you have joined us now if you'd like to study the bible a little more deeply or would like to share a Bible study opportunity with somebody else, point him to itiswritten.study. Our outstanding It Is Written Bible study guides are available for you to study online for free, itiswritten.study. More questions next time. With Wes Peppers, I'm John Bradshaw. This has been Line upon line brought to you by It Is Written.